0: Pour yourself a sweet tea, pull up a lawn chair, and turn the page with us. You're listening to Right on Mississippi, a podcast taking you inside the minds of America's most treasured wordsmiths. I'm Ebony Lumumba, and Right on Mississippi is produced in partnership with Mississippi Public Broadcasting for the Mississippi Book Festival, the South's literary lawn party. We're glad everyone is here. We're here with Ron Rash, the author of many incredible novels, collections of short stories, and an incredible poet Um, for his new collection of short stories in the Valley. Lemuria Bookstore and the Mississippi Book Festival are so excited to have Ron here today. He's one of the greatest living authors working today, and it is just a tremendous honor to talk to him about this book. Uh, Ron, I'm going to read a little bit of your bio so everybody knows just how important and great you are, if they don't already know. <laughs> Ron Rash is the author of the Penn Faulkner finalist and New York Times bestselling novel, Serena. In addition to the critically acclaimed novels, The Risen, Above the Waterfall, The Cove, One Foot in Eden, and Saints at the River, and The World Made Straight, four collections of poems and six collections of stories, among them Burning Bright, which won the 2010 Frank O'Connor International Short Story Award. Uh, Nothing Gold Can Stay, a New York Times bestseller, and Chemistry and Other Stories, which was a finalist for the 2007 Penn Faulkner Award. Twice the recipient of the O. Henry Prize and winner of the 2019 Sydney Millennium Prize for Southern Literature. He is the Paris Distinguished Professor in Appalachian Culture Studies at Western Carolina University and lives in Clemson, South Carolina. Thank you so much for being here, Ron. Well,
1: good to be here. And uh, I also live in Colorway. I split my time, but you know, so uh,
0: okay.
1: both places. But yeah. Great to be here. I wish it were not virtual, but I'm glad we could do this. I always love to come to Jackson and, uh, you know, get to... Uh, be in the same town that produced so many great writers uh, somebody actually i did an article recently for uh, the wall street journal and they asked me a question i'd never really thought about who's my favorite female character in fiction and uh I, I thought about it and i really thought hard and then and i decided that it was probably phoenix jackson in a worn path You know, wealthy story I, there's something about her journey which I mean, ultimately, it is a like a a grail quest that and just that she's always been stripped away with everything memory, family everything and and yet her love it's almost like what's left of her is is purely love, and yeah. to go on this trip and not even knowing if the child's even alive, yeah, so uh yeah, it's always good to touch base with uh Jackson
0: we always love having you here, and we hope we have you here again soon but this will have to suffice in the meantime yeah. um it, the, the book came out on tuesday if i'm correct right, right? right. Yeah. yeah so if anybody lemuria has many signed copies available for purchase and they have all of ron's other work uh for purchase and paperback hardback first edition signed copies um, so if you don't already have those i highly recommend you get them especially serena which is one of my Favorite books of all time of his uh, backlist. So, Ron, you want to read us a little bit, and then we can kind of talk about this collection.
1: Sure. Yeah, I thought I'd start with uh, bringing Serena back into uh, uh, the world. Uh, not something I'd necessarily planned on, but uh, sometimes the characters decide these things, and uh, I thought it might be interesting to start with her coming back from Brazil. If people who've read uh, the uh, earlier novel uh, would know that she has left to found a, by herself a, a, a timber empire in, in, in Brazil. But she's come back because she has some final acreage to, uh, to timber in the, in the North Carolina mountains. And look, I had a couple of things in mind with this. Uh, one, uh, she I thought it might be interesting to that uh, if you remember, uh, or some some people will remember that uh, when uh, Hitler had his propaganda movie, it was that he came in, mm-hmm. you know, out in an airplane almost like a, a god or god, you know, descending. And I thought that would be kind of fitting for Serena in some ways, like a Valkyrie, if you know uh, the the folklore and oh, yeah. uh, and. The other thing at the very end, she's asked a question and uh, the person I had in mind and actually was, was a, a re- reporter for the new Republic at this time was Martha Gellhorn. Oh yeah. Really well known at that time, particularly uh correspondent, married Hemingway. I see Hemingway behind me. Oh yeah. Here he is with us. Yeah. All- uh, and uh, a, a very tall blonde blonde haired woman who was also very, in some ways, very Serena-like. Uh, I mean, she went into the midst of the war. Uh, fear. She
0: was something else, wasn't she? She was... Yeah. Ooh.
1: So I, I thought she'd probably be the one person with enough, uh, you know, toughness to, to actually go right up to Serena at the end of this little scene.
0: Absolutely.
1: Yeah. When Serena Pemberton stepped out of the Commodore seaplane in July of 1931, A small but fervent contingent of reporters and photographers awaited her. Except for the pilot, she was alone. Those who would accompany her to the logging camp, both beast and human, had arrived by ship the night before. They were already on the train that would take them from Miami to North Carolina. All except for her minion Galloway, who procured an automobile to drive Serena to the station. As the metal ramp was ready, Galloway positioned himself beside the bottom step. He was short and wiry, shabbily dressed, a purple stump protruding from one sleeve. As cameras flashed mere inches from his face, he did not blink. As Serena descended, the first question shouted at her addressed the rumors surrounding her husband's death. For a moment, it didn't appear she would answer. But when her booted feet settled securely on the ground, the question was asked again, but with a caveat. Had she loved her husband? I loved my husband, but one always learns from disappointments. But what of his death, Mrs. Pemberton? What of so many others of your acquaintance, the reporter asked. Logging is a dangerous business, she answered. Galloway was in front of her now, but Serena, almost a head taller, was clearly visible. He cleared a path as more questions came. Would she continue to fight against the National Park? And would she address the rumor that she's connected to the recent demise of Horace Kephart, the park's chief advocate? Did she oppose the Davis-Bacon Act? Why risk a transatlantic enterprise when she and her late husband had achieved so much in the States? Galloway opened the DeSoto's passenger door. Serena was about to get in when the sole woman in the group, a reporter for the New Republic, stepped closer. She was very young, but like Serena, tall and blonde. When will you have achieved all your ambitions, Mrs. Pemberton, she asked, as others jostled around me? When the world and my will are one, Serena answered.
0: Her answer to that question, <laughs> I mean, excited me and also chilled me to the bone. It was so... Quintessential Serena. I don't know what else she could she could have said that would have been more fitting to her character. You wrote that perfectly. Um, it, I, I, I'm so glad that you made the connection with uh, Martha Gilhorn as being that reporter. I, you know, I never would have probably drawn that conclusion in my mind. Um, if if you want to say something else, I can wait on my questions.
1: Um, no, no, I've just always been impressed with Gellhorn and this was kind of a chance to bring her in. Yeah.
0: She was the most impressive woman. Absolutely. And I now know that you've brought it to my attention. I definitely see the similarities in Serena and uh, Martha Gellhorn. Um, so you, you spoke a little bit about, you know, something you continuing Serena's story was something that you had never really planned to do. When did you know, that you wanted to do that and was there ever a concern about you know when you sometimes when you hear about somebody's going to continue a story that's so well loved and so kind of perfect um there's a chance of you know possibly kind of tainting that which you did not do I will add for everybody who has not read it yet um what made you decide that you were that you well you said Serena decided
1: Yeah, well, uh, yeah, but the first thing I I was very conscious of was I was not going to write another novel about Serena. I I didn't want Ghostbusters 2, you know. (laughs) And 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 I've always been leery of that. I mean, I think there are obviously some writers who have done that very well, but um, I I knew it couldn't be a novel, but um, I've always admired the novella form. Uh, and it's the one form I've never really tried. You know, I've done poems and short stories and novels. But I really have always kind of, particularly in the last couple of years, I wanted to try a novella. And I realized, once I, I realized there was something I, I really felt compelled to write about regarding Serena, uh, I thought, well, if I do it as a novella, I will Kind of avoid that idea that this is a sequel necessarily. I mean, in some ways it is, but uh, ultimately I think it's it's its own part. And it's I hope distinctive that way. But the um, the character that kind of drew me back into this into that place and 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 ultimately Serena was mainly Ross, yeah. uh, who was a character in Serena that I always felt when I was writing that book, there was something really d- deeper inside of him. Uh, even in Serena, you get glimmers of that, particularly when he, when he uh, he's a very smart man, but he, you know, bets against Serena uh, when she's fighting the dragon. And uh, it was his heart, not his head, that tells him to do that. So Ross had a story. I knew that. And also it gave me a chance to uh, to kind of, give a sense of what was happening in Rachel's life because she really just since really essentially disappears once she, she, uh, leaves, uh, you know, the South and, 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 uh, makes, you know, flees into the Northwest. So I think we got a sense of her, her and her continuing resilience. Yes. Um, so it was, yeah. And, and I think the maybe as equally important was, I felt like some of the, major themes of Serena, uh, particularly the idea of how easily a landscape can be devastated, uh, how hard won national parks are, have been, and how easily lost. And right now, particularly in the last couple of years, that's really been, you know, it's, it's, it's kind of unfortunate in some ways that, not unfortunate, but there's so many issues right now uh, in the United States, that uh, sometimes I think w- what's happening as far as environmental policy is, is, is not, you know, uh, we just, don't, we, we're overwhelmed, so we don't really realize some of the problems, but uh, we, we are uh, experiencing those. So all that I think played a role. I wanted to kind of go back and remind people of, of the ecological damage. And I guess one of the things that uh, I've got a great editor. Uh, Lee would grow, and actually, I, I've been following her. She keeps leaving a publisher, and I have to follow her, you know. But um, which I, I, I'm glad to do because she's so great. But she kept pushing me on this, and that's when I really came up with the idea of the animals. And I wanted that to be like almost like Noah's Ark in reverse. Because you see the animals, instead of going on it to be saved, they're leaving that valley uh, to uh, to to be saved. I mean, in a sense, you you, you see you kind of playing off that uh, that uh, biblical story. So um, it all kind of came together. I really, you know, I felt like it, it worked, uh, and and I'm I'm very happy with it.
0: Well, you you touched on so many questions I actually had. You know, about the ecological concerns. You know, the the sections uh, in you know, be- before certain chapters about, you know, as you said, like, you know, large, you, you have a section about large, different kind of large mammals leaving and then fish and amphibians and, uh, birds. Um, you seem, I mean, you are from the Appalachian mountains. I mean, you've lived there your whole life, right? I mean, mostly. yeah, I mean,
1: I, yeah, they're the foothills. Yeah, yeah.
0: Yeah. So, I mean, and you, you, I sometimes I feel like, you know, war is being waged on our environment currently. Um, and so you what what drew you, I mean, you at least you said Lee pushed you to do this. Is this something that you um, you think about often because you're obviously very connected to that land and the effects that these industries are having on it? You know, I don't know anything about logging the most I know is from reading your work I'm a um, from a family of delta farmers in Mississippi so I know zero about logging um are those effects still very prevalent in um in this area with um, the logging and everything else
1: yeah well, yeah there, I mean we, there's still a lot of timber cutting and and once again as I say you know there, there are there's there's a real attempt now to uh, open up some of the uh, national forest and state forest uh, or uh, 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 you know, and and also uh, mineral lights, and so yeah, I, I think we're very aware of that. There there have been some uh, statewide in North Carolina, some some very serious attempts that will silt uh, one one of the, the our be- most beautiful rivers, the Chattooga River. Uh, so yeah, you know these these are very real concerns, and and but they also go, I think, beyond Appalachia. I think we're seeing them. Everywhere. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I think uh, one thing I want to do with my work is I don't want I I view myself more as a witness than uh, some uh, someone who tells the reader what to think. Uh, But I feel like I want to show in my work that it's easy for someone such as myself to say, well, we shouldn't be coal mining or we shouldn't allow people, you know, pulpwood cutting or whatever. But that's so easy for me because I'm not the one who has to feed a family that way.
0: Absolutely, uh, I have
1: tried to show in my work, I, and I, I think in this book maybe as clearly as any of them that that t- terrible, con- you know, contradiction that in 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 this book as well, as Serena, that these men who are very attached to this place uh, are to survive, they have to destroy it.
0: Yeah. Well, that and that kind of segues into another question. I mean, like the imagery, which you create, um, creates such a strong sense of place. And uh, there was one line on page 158 that um, was so strong. I mean, I could just see it clearly in my mind. And I'm just going to read it real quick. Um, Page from page 158 in the in the Valley Novella. Meeks hobbled up to the crest, only then looked back. Below the whole valley could be seen. Thousands upon thousands of stumps. In the moonlight, they looked like gravestones. I mean, that was, that was so striking to me. And I was kind of overcome with anxiety and fear in that section and uh, of the novella. At one point, I was in the bed and I reached over and I slapped my husband. He was like, what is it? <laughs> um. How, let talk a little bit about kind of your craft and how you craft the story. How do you, you know, kind of create that sense of anticipation and anxiety in such kind of a short form? I mean, it's not as short as the short story, but I mean, you definitely have to get it in while you can for the novella.
1: Right. Well, I think that's where very specific details have to do a lot of work. I mean, it's, it's in a sense, it's not something that uh, I, I feel like I, I want to explain, but I think if I throw, you know, if I give you, give the reader that image, I think the reader makes all the connections among what I'm doing. I mean, I'm making it more ominous for Meeks. The fact that he sees gravestones that reflects something inside himself, his own fears, but also it, it shows what's happening to the landscape. I mean, that it is in a sense, a uh, a graveyard because, you know, but, a but, a ecological graveyard not just uh, a graveyard and, and also it, I think it, it uh, I kind of set up all through the book it's almost for Serene it's like a war yeah. against the environment and and so you get a sense of a, a battlefield where you know great many lives have been lost.
0: Well she sees it as something to be conquered. I feel yeah, like Absolutely. I mean, and so again segueing into my next question um, Serena, if uh, you know people who have read it, even if they haven't and they just read the novella, I mean, she is clearly a villainess. I mean, wouldn't I mean, would you agree on that? I mean, she's a complicated <laughs> character, but even though I I want her vanquished, there's a part of me that also wants her to succeed, <laughs> which is you know how well
1: uh, that's kind of my hope. I, I mean, there is something about I think very often some of the most terrible characters in fiction that uh, is charismatic and, sure. yeah, and I think one aspect of Serena that perhaps we uh, feel I felt writing about her is that whatever else she is, she's not a hypocrite not. she knows absolutely what she is, who she you know, and she never pretends to be anything else. I think she in that way she may be as pure as uh, we can, you know, as, as I could hope in the sense of just someone who there is something about her that draws us toward her. Um, you know, she, she's a little bit, I, I always think of, she's much stronger but, but and very different. But uh, in Gatsby, there's always, I've always found Jordan Baker very interesting because unlike the rest of the people, you know, uh, Daisy and, you know, the Tom, uh, all those people, Uh, Jordan knows exactly who she is.
0: Unapologetically herself. Right,
1: yeah. And I think there's something about her that makes her interesting to us when we read Gatsby uh, in a way that we might not if we didn't have a character like that in there.
0: Yeah, so I have a funny little anecdote. When the arcs for Serena came to the bookstore, one of my coworkers then got the book and she was reading and she came to work one day. She was like, Ellen, I'm reading Ryan Rash's new book. And the main character reminds me so much of you. And the next day she came to work, she was like, never mind, never mind. <laughs> and well, got a
1: Yeah, I've got a real funny story about that. Uh, uh, a minister uh, near where I live, and actually I know her, uh, she had, read, I guess, the first 40 or 50 pages of Serena, and she had a sermon that that weekend. She read that, and she started talking about strong women in the Bible, and she made this connection to Serena in my book, you know, that these are the kind of people, you know, we we, we women need to, you know, and we need to see these, you know, uh, this is the way that human beings need to be, uh, whether you're male or female, you know, that you have to be strong. And, yeah. and, and then You, like,
0: you need to finish the book.
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That was, that was pretty funny. Yeah.
0: Well, that that is, that is absolutely hilarious. And then that was referenced in a church sermon is even better, honestly. Um, so, I mean, I, well, I could sit here and talk to you all day about Serena and this new novella, but um I want to talk to you a little bit about your shorts, your your short stories. Um, And I can't remember if I told you this before we started talking or John, I can't think of one um, collections of short stories that I've actually sat down and I've read from cover to cover, you know, within a couple of sittings. I read this in two sittings. I mean, I was, they just propelled you forward. And, you know, I've always heard that the short story is, probably one of the hardest things to write because you have to hook your reader pretty quickly and then you know wrap it up in a very short period of time can you talk to us about how you approach the short story form
1: well um uh, yeah I mean I think that's why I love the short story form is uh I, I think when it works I mean when you get someone such as a uh, Eudora Welty or Flannery O'Connor, or Chekhov. I mean, it, it's a wonder because uh, I think the reader comes away with everything you just said—a sense that even though it's been very short, that that we have a full sense of uh, a narrative complete. We really don't need anything else, and I think that's the hardest part to pull off. And uh, and there's just no, there's so little room for error. Uh, to me, it's 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 very much like writing poetry—that uh, sense of making every word count. I mean, we try that in novels, but, but it's, I don't think, I certainly have never had the ability to really, you know, tighten that intensely on a novel. But um, I, one thing I'm very, very aware of, and very I really try to work hard on this, is I want the stories to have a kind of rhythm for the reader. Uh, uh, when I put a story collection, whether it was Burning Bright or this collection, I'm very conscious of exactly where one story leads into the other. It's a little bit like uh, a musician trying to put together a CD. Uh, you know, the hope is that uh, the sum is greater than individual parts. And in this, so I did that in many ways, uh, the length, but also uh, in time. I, I moved from present to past, and I, I hope I kind of caught almost a rhythm to that, and even moments where I hope the reader's not quite sure where he or she is as far as time. And, and that was very important to me. And so, yeah, there are a lot of uh, really, I really ponder that a lot. Uh, and I think I started the book right with neighbors. I think I finished it with the right story, uh, which uh, is a story that actually uh, I, my grandson, uh, the book, uh, In the Valley Dedicated My Grandson. Uh, who was born four months ago. And and so I think that knowing he was coming when I wrote that story, uh, because it's about a grandfather and a grandson, was really important. But yeah, uh, I I, I wanted, uh, yeah, I want that sense that the reader will just kind of move from one to the other, not necessarily seem to even entirely separate. You're just kind of entering this time flow.
0: I feel like we are in the most well-executed waltz right now because that was my next question about how you transition from time period to time period, and the sequencing—that's what you were talking about of the of the stories. It is a natural flow, even though you go from one time period to the next. Um, Do you write these stories? Um, You know, you'll be in like modern times, and then you'll be during the Civil War, and then like. Slightly post Civil War. I mean, do you write those kind of all like in a group with the same time period, or you do you just kind of whatever strikes you?
1: Yeah, whatever strikes me. I, I think um, I think they when I'm writing them, they do. I think the fact that I've written one maybe in 1880 or whatever. Uh, but yeah, they just kind of, they kind of come individually. But then, I mean, I have probably had I don't know 16 or 17 short stories. But then I, I really had to figure out which ones work in this book it's not necessarily what are the you know uh individually the I, well actually I think they are probably I'd say nine you know almost they are probably my best stories the ones I, but but also would they fit because in other collections I've had stories that were I felt were really good that were as good as anything in one collection but they didn't fit that so I'd put them in another one. And, and in this one, you know, there were stories that I thought about and Lee, my, my editor thought about, but uh, ultimately I didn't feel like they, you know, we, I think we, we found, or, I, you know, we found the right ones.
0: Um, oh, so how, what was kind of the time frame on when these stories were written? Um, let's see, probably I'd say
1: almost all of them the last three years.
0: Okay.
1: Yeah. Um, can't think of any that are older than that From uh, yeah. some this spring uh, actually two uh, so uh yeah uh and i yeah they just come and I'll, I'll let them lie around a few a while and go back to them and find more wrong with them than i wish and, and work on them some more and eventually hope that i get at least i feel like i'm at the point where if i keep working with them too much. I'm going to start hurting. Yeah. You're going to
0: yeah. Do too over it. Yeah. They, they are, they do feel effortless. I know they are not, but they are certainly not over. They do not seem overworked in any way. And so the subject matters of your stories vary so widely. I mean, we go from French cave painting, which we spoke about earlier to a veteran Confederate soldier to a, uh, for hire helicopter pilot. and, do, do things around you kind of inspire you to kind of elaborate on that and create a short story from it? Um, could you kind of share with us a little bit about that?
1: Yeah. I mean, I, I my, my work, whether it's poems or novels or, uh, short stories, Oh, just I always start with an image, uh, an image and I can't get it out of my head. And, and I just, uh, eventually something usually will come from that. I mean, for instance, uh, Story of um, such as ooh, neighbors. I knew someone. Um, I knew that there was a woman. Someone was approaching, and uh, it was it was not good. I knew that she was afraid of something. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, Jubal. I think that story. If I you know, sometimes it's hard to remember this, but I think in the, in that particular story, the belt that was actually based on some of it was based on actually something that actually happened, uh, yeah. but I uh, heard about it in the Appalachian mountains, but um, it it really kind of began when uh, I had a sense of uh, this, this older man and this child together. And I think part of that was probably because I knew I was going to be a grandfather soon. Uh, and uh, so, yeah, you know, it just all kind of uh, starts there and I hope it, follows uh it, very often it doesn't go the way I think it will go uh which is always kind of
0: fun oh yeah
1: and I think that's you know I think Robert Frost once said no surprise in the writer no surprise in the reader and I, and to me I, that's the uh, those are always the moments that uh delight me is when 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 the story surprises me uh, there's a great great Flannery O'Connor once was talking about uh good country people mm-hmm. Olga and the wooden leg and and she said that it wasn't until she was writing that scene where uh, the Bible salesman is in the uh, hayloft with her that he, that she knows uh, he was going, you know, she only then realized he was going to steal her leg. And I, her. I, I mean, you know, she's a good religious woman. She, but, uh, but I, I understand you know, that once you, when you read the story, you think she had to, you know, just known this was going to happen all along, but, uh, I think those are the moments, and and I think that's when you know we were talking about earlier what what the short story is, what can it do. I think it's those moments where the story swerves a little bit, and the reader is taken into a place beyond where uh, you know she or he would 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 expect the story to go, and uh, but it, but in a in a right way that it feels right, and and in the best stories, inevitable. Yeah. You know, both surprising and inevitable, same time.
0: Yeah. Well, um, uh, we have a question from someone viewing. This is from Amber Dupree. She said, for fans of Serena, what's one of the most important things to keep in mind before starting in the Valley? Um,
1: well, I think if you've read the book, I mean, that was one of the things that uh, at least, you know, my editor and I really had to struggle with is how much of a backstory do we, does a reader need who hasn't read Serena, who comes to it fresh and wants to read as a separate novella? And so um, I actually, I think if someone's read the novel recently, that would benefit the reading of In the Valley. I mean, you know, uh, because you'd have a stronger sense of the characters already. I think that might be an advantage though. Uh, there are some new ones in it, Yeah. So, but um, I think, uh, I hope that it would be just a very, le- you know, very easy, uh, move into it uh and and you know where it's ha- what's happened right before it i mean you know that uh serena has left um, you know her husband's dead mm-hmm. probably shouldn't be giving all that away but
0: uh oh you say it right now yeah, right. you know he
1: yeah we don't know how he died but um yeah that uh, this, this story uh, will you know kind of bring back some characters that were already uh, the person who's read serena is already uh, aware of but i at the same time i don't think that's essential to reading right. yeah. it separately it, it it I hope it holds up it should I've had people who haven't read Serena say it did, so that's good.
0: oh, I have a question from somebody in the store right now what How did you discover French art caves? okay well <laughs> um how did you discover French art caves? I mean, what brought yeah. you to that
1: <laughs> yeah no oh, that's a great question i, I I'm actually reading a, a, a yet another book on cave art right now and um uh, I uh, when I was a kid, I, I remember seeing uh, a picture of cave art in a book, and 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 just I mean, I was like fourth or fifth grade, and it, and there was something really haunting about it. Uh, Absolutely, I really, it was really old. But I didn't really know it was like thirty five thousand.
0: How old? Yeah,
1: but uh, in in the last, uh, I don't know. I guess since I was about forty, I've just been. Kind of obsessed with that. I you know I read I like to read books about it. I uh, I think what what I find amazing is that art can reach back that far. That our need to create
0: mm-hmm.
1: uh, goes back that far. I mean I've been actually thinking about this a lot lately. How um, what is it about? I mean is that what makes us human in part? I mean we always talk about language, but I think also with language. Or the complexity of the language humans have, uh, that need uh, for art, uh, and also how mysterious it is. Well, you know, what, what? Why were they doing this thirty five five thousand years ago? Was this religious? Was it uh, purely aesthetic? And 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 the other thing about it, anybody who's really uh, looked at it carefully, is how sophisticated it is. Yeah. It, there's nothing primitive about it. Uh, I mean, it's as sophisticated as any artwork today.
0: Well, I mean, and the real care is taken to... Um, obviously, real care was taken with the colors, you know, and it is it is just... I mean, it is primitive and not. I mean, we've... Humans have felt the need to create since the beginning of time. So it yeah. is. I, I think you're right. I mean, that is something that makes us human. I mean, that's yeah. fundamentally human. Yeah, I'd had
1: a character who had haunted me for a while. Mm -hmm. Something really traumatic had happened during World War II, and I was kind of basing him on a cousin of mine who was in, actually not in Korea, but in, uh, I mean, was in Korea, not World War II, but had been in some fierce fighting. And I knew something was wrong with this man. And it, and I, and then, you know, somehow just, I was thinking about cave art too, and I thought, well, what, how would a soldier react going into one of these caves? And uh, you know, particularly right after World War II, who's been, you know, a guy you know who's been traumatized, um, and that's when the story kind of surprised me was you know the ultimate reaction to it.
0: Yeah. So there's a lot of World War II references in your work. Um, you know, in Serena, she goes she goes to Brazil and she buys into the Herman Göring-like lumber yeah. you know, enterprise down there, and then Martha Gellhorn, who was a huge figure, yeah. in, um you know, journal, photojournalism, you know, reporting in, uh, World War II. And now we have what you just said. So there's a fascination with World War II that you have, which I also share. Um,
1: well, because I had relatives, you know, very early on, I I can remember being taken to a graveyard, a family graveyard up near Boone, North Carolina, and seeing a, a relative being killed in North Africa, you know, fighting Rommel, his grave. And, um, Korea, I had several, as I've already kind of said, uh, several relatives who were really in in that. Uh, my closest cousin was in Vietnam, so I, I think I'm I've been aware that of uh, in those moments what what they can do to humans, uh, and, and also how people are very often stripped to their core in those situations. So yeah, yeah, in a way, I think. We were talking before you came on, but I, we, we came on. I thought uh, that I feel in some ways this is a book that is about kind of where we are now, with uh, particularly with COVID, because I think we're seeing human beings being pressed, I mean, under intense uh, psychological pressure. And so many of the characters in this book, are they're, they're, they're dealing with real extreme... Uh, psychological pressure, uh, sometimes physical pressures, but there—I would like to think that my—they, I think they are doing the best they can, and very often, pretty well. Uh, I love a quote by by William Faulkner that uh, where he said that he believed that most people were a little bit better than their circumstances ought to allow. You
0: know, that's funny. I, yeah, I know that saying, and I, you know, there's, I, I have. People in my life, I'm just like, they're way more normal than they have any business being, you know, from the, coming from, you know, situations, you know, like, you know, their family lives and everything. So that is very true. Uh, hold on, I've got another question coming in here. Two, uh, Kyle Sumrall for Mr. Rash. What are some books he's enjoyed this year or books to look out for this year? Um, can't wait to start in the valley. Something rich and strange changed the way I wrote and read. Wow, well, that's That's
1: very kind. Uh, well, I've been reading uh, a lot of a lot of stuff uh, recently. Uh, a book I really like uh, is a uh, um, by uh, it's coming out I think in September by Net Clapsaddle. It's called as I believe never uh, can as, as we yet breathe. I believe it's the title. A net Clapsaddle. That's good. David Joy has a book coming out. Can't wait. Yeah, uh, who else has one? I'm not sure who else. Oh, yeah, Jill McCorkle's got a new book. And that's actually the next book I'm going to read. I just started it. And Jill is just such a great writer and such a great person. I'm sure she's been to the store.
0: Oh, yeah, and we were hoping to have her at the book festival
1: this summer. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, uh, and she she is, yeah, she is, she's one of my dear friends, and, and I'm, I'm really excited to see she's got a book out. Uh, as I said, I've been reading about cave art. Uh, I've been reading, uh, one of my favorite poets is Philip Larkin, a British poet. I've been reading him. I've been reading a lot of poetry lately, uh, getting back into that with uh some French poets, but also Hart Crane, uh, who's just a magnificent poet uh, and uh, died very young, I think 29, but uh, okay. yeah, but I, I mean, one good thing about this or one of the few good things about what's happened is I think it, in a way it's kind of slowed us down. Yes. As, as a society, at least a lot of us, and, and I, I it's, it's been kind of, a lot, I've been reading more and it, it kind of fills that gap. Uh, I've been rereading Larry Brown's short stories. You know, they're so good. They are. And uh, that's been bittersweet. (laughs) But because I miss him and, and, uh, you know, William Gay and, and actually.
0: I love William Gay.
1: Yeah, yeah, Williams just magnificent. Uh, I really read uh, Twilight, uh, and uh, Brad Watson, who just recently died, oh. hate writers, and and that was devastating. Brad was oh, a good. Whoa. And, uh, you know, he's such a, a really great writer, and uh, his book about his I think it was his great aunt, right?
0: Uh about Miss Jane.
1: Yeah, Miss Jane. She was his great aunt. Is
0: that right? Yeah. Or great, great. I can't remember. He actually yeah. told me when he came to the yeah. store, that yeah. book.
1: Yeah, you know it's interesting when I, I was asked that question uh, for uh, the, uh, the newspaper about favorite female characters. Uh, I certainly thought of Miss Jane.
0: Oh, she was. I mentioned
1: that. Yeah, I mentioned.
0: That. Man, I mean, like <laughs> talk about uh, being pressed and rising. Mm-hmm. Above. I mean, she was an incredible character, and then I've just got one comment from somebody that said, "I loved the baptism. It has it has such a satisfying end. in <laughs> story It's an emotional roller coaster. I loved it. I, good, I, I, you know, I, I,
1: that was actually I had that was one of those where I guess the meanest part of me comes out because I was so glad to end that story. Uh,
0: uh, oh, yes. That was one of those that you were just kind of like, yes. Yeah. <laughs> um, well, do you have anything else you would like to add? I mean, this has been wonderful.
1: Uh, just my gratitude to Lemuria. Yeah. Um, Over the years, I mean, uh, Johnny, I think, uh, gosh, you know, he was one of my earliest supporters, uh, you know, and, and that's been one of the great things about doing, you know, doing some of these virtual events is I'm getting to do these uh, stores where uh, that have meant the most to me.
0: Yeah. Lemuria is truly a gift. I mean, we are so lucky to have it. John has created a place here that, you know, is uh, unparalleled in many ways. I mean, you know, it's, this is it. It's just, it, I mean, I said that when I come here, I'm, like, I'm coming to church. I mean, this is my yeah. church. So.
1: Yeah. Well, I have that feeling too. I mean, it, it it's that sense that, you know, here's a place where what I love, what I want to, what I try to do is important. I mean, is a kind of sanctuary where like-minded people uh James Dickey once said that he was speaking of uh, writers and and, t- and readers mm-hmm. you know the kind of people who really read deeply because to be a good reader uh, a person has to be have creativity too because I'm giving you blotches of ink on a page
0: mm-hmm.
1: those characters become real we're working together and uh, uh, that to me has always been wonderful. I mean, even as a kid I marveled at that, that that watches of ink could take me into that place so intensely. But uh Dickie said that we are keepers of the superior secret. You know, that uh, it, uh, that we know what wonder, what joy and pleasure, just sheer pleasure. And and that pleasure is complex. I mean, part it of the pleasure can be painful at times because we recognize that life can be hard or the human condition. And yet, to me, I would argue in the best literature, we get to the sublime where the sadness and the beauty uh, come together and you get that.
0: And they all need each other.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And and that sense that uh, I think we we love that, uh, particularly when times are hard, that we're not alone, that other people have felt these things.
0: And I think it's so important for us right now during this time we're currently in, when everything kind of bad is rising to the surface, that we remember to have joy and take pleasure in things. And reading is one of those things for me, as it is for, I mean, I know it is for you and yeah. very important.
1: Yeah, I mean, I, I, I'm not, I, you know, I don't get so much angry when I, you know, someone says something like, I don't read fiction or I, you know, I don't have time for that. But I feel a sadness.
0: I I, I couldn't live my life without
1: that. Truly wonderful. I mean, it'd be like, you know, having to live without uh, okra and uh, black-eyed peas, you know? Not
0: a life I'm interested in. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I like nonfiction, but I love just seeing what the human mind can kind of create out of. You know, you're talking about just like an image that you see that you can't get out of your mind. And so you just elaborate on that, and that's... That's the thing of beauty. Thank you so much for doing this with us. Thank all
1: of you and uh, stay strong and safe. And uh, I hope to see you next year.
0: I, absolutely. We want you back in person.
1: Well, that's, that's my goal. I've got, I've got to eat at Miss uh, restaurant.
0: Oh, yes. Got to get some of that. I, I need to go do that soon. But again, thank you so much. And uh, everybody, thank you for being here. Lemuri has lots of, lots of copies of In the Valley. And it is a marvel. So thank y'all. Thank you. Right on Mississippi, a podcast. Download now at mpbonline.org from the Mississippi Book Festival and MPB.